This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, March 1st. I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, public health shifts focus to post-COVID projects. Local governments look to protect youth from sexual assault. Locals get a chance to secure their bluegrass tickets and a mountain weather forecast. In her update to county commissioners this week, Director of Public Health for San Miguel County, Grace Franklin, reported that staff has been taking time to begin new initiatives and even travel outside the county to attend trainings and pursue continuing education. This is all a result of public health refocusing as the pandemic continues to ease. Why are we doing all of this? Um, We have a couple new programs or old programs that we're bringing back to really um, meet the needs that have been identified in our community um, as we've wound back from our COVID work. One new focus area for public health is the scourge of fentanyl overdoses rolling across the country. Franklin says public health is gearing up for more drugs and more dangerous drugs appearing here in San Miguel County. A few weeks ago, we've received Narcan and fentanyl test strips um, to provide and they are currently being distributed. Any individual can come to the public health department and pick them up for free, confidentially, no judgment. In addition to those drug testing materials, Franklin says public health is offering trainings on administering Narcan, which can reverse a drug overdose. They've already partnered with Telluride's Gay Ski Week staff and will look to work with other area businesses. Franklin adds, And have um, library trainings as well um, scheduled early in March um, to... Uh, talk about harm reduction, talk about um, different resources, as well as provide um, our Narcan and fentanyl test strips for free to them. Another upcoming initiative focuses on sexual health. San Miguel County will begin to offer contraceptive support to area residents and is also set up to offer appointments and consultations in partnership with the Children's Hospital in Denver. So this will be walk-in telehealth visits where um, our nurse Shannon Farley can dispense medication by the provider's order from Children's Hospital remotely. And then we'll be working on um, in-person nurse practitioner um, visits as well once a month um, as demand needs to do um, on-site care, whether that's IUDs, implants, or pap smears and other things like that. All of these new focus areas are cropping up as the response to COVID-19 is taking up fewer resources. The pandemic and the rate of COVID infections continues to wane, or at least has held steady at low levels. Here's Franklin summarizing COVID-19 levels in the community based on wastewater testing. Not too much has changed over this last month, which is encouraging. Um, our local wastewater numbers, and I'll show some photo or uh, graphs in a few, remain at a steady moderate level um, with little blips here and there. Additionally, the county has continued to offer PCR testing once a week from its Telluride offices. But those clinics are less and less frequently attended, Franklin says. We've had about two to three people um, attend that. And out of those individuals, the majority are insured. It's just the more convenient option, um, which is a great reason to get services. But as we move into um, the off-season, we'll be um, reassessing that um, and likely to um, not provide that on-site PCR testing, but continue to provide the at-home antigen testing given the lack of demand and um, the need to pull our nurse and other people into other 
projects um, moving forward. Public Health Franklin Hints is likely to pull back on those in-person tests in the near future, another sign of COVID's decline and the rise of other health challenges and concerns for the county. With the recent sentencing of a former Telluride High School student for sexual assault, local leaders are looking to support students and prevent assault and harassment in the community. KOTO's Julia Caulfield has more. In the Telluride School District, 3% of students say they've been physically forced to have sexual intercourse when they did not want to. And 12% of students say they've had sexual experiences where they're unsure if they granted their full consent. That's according to data from the statewide Healthy Kids Colorado survey. How can we help them? How can we protect these people? I'm going to say young women, but I'm sure that there are young men that have been assaulted. How can we help them once they've been assaulted to feel safe in this community come forward? That's Leila Benitez, executive director of the San Miguel Resource Center, speaking at an intergovernmental meeting earlier this month. The conversation arose after a former Telluride High School student was recently sentenced to serve 45 days in jail for sexually assaulting 11 young women between 2015 and 2018. It is already hard enough, I can't imagine how bad, to be sexually assaulted at that age, but then to be in such a tiny community where everyone knows your business, and then to be sitting in class next to your perpetrator. These are really tough situations that our students are in. And a number of you said, okay, we understand, but what can we do to help this from happening again? Benitez says following the sentence, the coordinated community response team, a group including all local law enforcement, the Telluride Medical Center, the DA's office, and the San Miguel Resource Center, will be working to identify what happened and lessons learned from how the case was handled. What they've learned through the process, what exactly did happen, where balls were dropped, where we should have maybe acted sooner as a community. And so taking a look at everything that happened and then coming up with suggestions moving forward. Um, and I know it, we're never going to have all the answers, but I know that me sitting in my office and less capable of coming up with all the answers than me sitting with a team of us together. Because Benitez note, assault and harassment in the community is still a reality. It's happening. In the last six months, the San Miguel Resource Center has become aware of three teenagers that were sexually assaulted. Those are the ones that we're aware of. They're the ones that have come forward. They're, there's, this is still happening in our community, and almost every case it is tied in with alcohol and drug use, which A, puts them in a vulnerable position, but then also makes them feel vulnerable about coming forward. Benitez adds she's heard from government officials saying they want to do more to ensure incidents like this don't happen in the future. Cheryl Miller, president of the Telluride School Board of Education, says it's important to not only look at ways to support survivors of sexual assault, but also keep young people from becoming perpetrators. One of the things we need to understand is the perpetrator is a victim as well of pop culture, of misunderstandings about what's appropriate behavior and that we need to think in terms of education which would protect our youth from becoming perpetrators, if that makes sense, um, so that they understand 
appropriate choices, particularly when there's substance involved. Telluride Town Council member Adrian Christie adds, adults in the community need to be aware of the behavior they're modeling to young people. They are a reflection as of us as adults. And while it is very concerning that there are youth that are being sexually assaulted in high school, um, it's also very concerning that adults are experiencing that on a regular basis and their perpetrators are walking around the community in the same way that you described someone having to sit in class with them. And I think the more we as adults hold ourselves accountable with regards to drug use, drinking, alcohol, any kind of behavior that we're showing our kids, including sexual assault, um, the better outcomes we're going to see in our youth. The conversation at the intergovernmental meeting did not lead to the formation of any group or committee to address the issues, but local officials shared support for moving forward with measures to address sexual assault in the community. KOTO News will be holding an off-the-record program to discuss sexual assault and harassment on Tuesday, March 7th. At the Koto Station this week, Planet Bluegrass continued its tradition of holding an in-person locals-only ticket sale for its upcoming festival. Tickets for the June Music Fest sold out in minutes when they went on sale online last fall, but 1,000 more passes were set aside specifically for residents of San Miguel County. We at Koto News were on the scene to speak with festival hopefuls as they waited in line. Well, our experience has been great because all my neighbors are here and all my friends that I see in the festival every year. And so the yellow tarp is getting prepared. I got here at uh, NPR was playing on my little portable radio here. So it was about 7.15. Most of the lines showed up here around 8 o'clock. It was right after, after the news and the lines started growing a bit. It's just the 50th. I'm ready to celebrate like it is. Uh, Dave Valentine. Linda. Full name? Peterson. Jimmy. Jazz. I'm looking for Robert Plant. Hopefully play a little Led Zeppelin. Yeah. <laughs> Since 7.15. But we thought it started at 8, so. <laughs> so a little longer than you yeah, expected. Yeah, a little longer than we expected, but hey, we're at the front of the, the line. Yeah, that. and it's the best weekend of the year, so it's worth it. Tony Hill. Natalie Price. I don't know, 50th anniversary. Everyone's super stoked about that. So. Yeah. And it's... Uh, I grew up here, and so it's the one weekend out of the year that all my best friends from, you know, preschool childhood come together and have a massive tarp and get to hang yeah. out. Anyone need donuts? can't imagine that. We're going to go around the corner. John Roth. You know, the thing is, the first couple of years they had the Bluegrass Festival, it was like all these, like, bikers and drunks, and there'd be broken glass on the street. There'd people be people vomiting on the street. There'd be fist fights. But every year, the crowd of people that come seems like better and better and better people. And I think it's just really a fun social event. You know, there's always so many nice people that come. And John's been to every bluegrass since As start. To everyone. Everyone. All four days to every bluegrass festival. You know, one thing about standing in line like this is you get you run into your friends and you get to talk to people, you know, for a couple hours that you... You say hi to on the street, but you don't really get to converse with. I had to work last year. I was so sad I saw everybody in line. Um, but I do think that they should sell tickets to locals ahead of 
everyone else because the internet in this county is so slow. I would never have a chance to buy a ticket online while I sat at my desk. Roslyn Wilder. Yeah, that's a good idea to set aside, but more than the thousand you should have at least fifteen hundred. And in my view, they sh- shouldn't sell the public tickets till after New Year's, so people can use their money they make at Christmas on tips, etc. It's like I don't have money in November. My name is Lauren Kenobi, and it's the greatest weekend of the year. So it's great to spend a few hours in the snow and you know get your tickets. Wouldn't miss it, including standing in line in the snow for a couple hours. (laughs) Yeah. The thrum of winter tourism is alive on Main Street, and the March Art Walk will see galleries and shops open late to share all the color and creativity Telluride has to offer. The night will feature a number of new shows opening, including at the AHA School, where the Tulsa-based arts collective No Parking Studios has installed a multimedia, intergalactic, and fashion-forward exhibit. The artist will be in attendance, and the night will feature the musical debut of DJ Lowe. Over at the Telluride Arts HQ, Diane Best's open space will explore remote and uninhabited terrain primarily in large-scale oil paintings. Additionally, shops across town have decorated their windows with pride displays for Gay Ski Week. Art walkers are invited to vote for their favorite window display on the Gay Ski Week website. A winner will be declared on March 3rd. Gallery guides are available at the Telluride Arts HQ on Main Street as well as all participating galleries. Art Walk takes place on Thursday, March 2nd from 5 to 8 p.m. The Grand Mesa on Compagre in Gunnison National Forest is planning mining mitigation and cleanup work in the San Juans directly east of Telluride, taking place in the Ironton Mining District, which lies just south of Ure along Highway 550 and over the Black Bear Pass from Telluride proper. The cleanup will close over and fill in old mining sites while preserving historic and cultural resources. Additionally, the mine closures and cleanup work will attempt to provide bat roosting habitat. The GMUG is requesting public comment on the work, which is planned for the summer of 2023. The comment period is open through March 31st, and comments can be submitted to the Ure Ranger District offices in Montrose, Colorado, or emailed to lindsay.binder at usda.gov. That's Lindsay, spelled with an E. At a recent meeting, the URA Board of County Commissioners formally adopted the Regional Climate Action Plan put forward by the Sneffels Energy Board. The Energy Board is supported by EcoAction Partners. It completed its Climate Action Plan in 2021 to create a pathway for reducing greenhouse gas emissions in the region 90% by 2050 over 2010 levels. The San Miguel Board of County Commissioners adopted the Regional Plan previously. As URA joins them in taking up the plan, the region will move forward in a coordinated manner as it aims to address the climate crisis. EcoAction Partners reports other area jurisdictions are making moves to adopt the plan as well. Local governments in Colorado could soon have more control over where to put new affordable housing. As KOTO's Lucas Brady Woods reports, a new bill at the State House would give them first dibs on certain property sales. 
The new bill would give counties and municipalities the right of first refusal when residential or mixed-use real estate goes up for sale. They would be able to make an offer before any private buyers under the condition they use the property to create new affordable housing. Bill sponsor Representative Andrew Basenecker says this will help create affordable options from existing housing. To suggest that there is only one way out of this and that is to build our way out of it ignores the fact that we lose more affordable housing than we could ever build. And once that affordable housing is gone, it becomes immensely difficult, costly to build that affordable housing again. The right of first refusal would only apply to certain properties. An eligible building must include at least five residential units if it's in a city and three units in a rural community. Critics say the bill would drive away private and commercial buyers. It passed through committee this week and will get a preliminary vote in the House next. I'm Lucas Brady-Woods at the State Capitol. Tuesday was the last day for the public to submit comment on Colorado's plan to reintroduce wolves. Many ranchers and others in rural areas say they fear for their jobs, livestock, and even personal safety. But are those fears justified? For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KDNK's Haddison Rensbury spoke with Eric Mulvar, wildlife biologist and executive director of the Western Watersheds Project, about what wolf reintroduction worries look like from a biological perspective. I've heard from some opponents that their concern is the impact that wolf reintroduction will have on the ungulate population and competition for hunting licenses and things. Does that hold any weight for you? Well, it doesn't for me. And and personally, I I am an elk hunter, and I hunt in in some of the areas that have wolves in in Wyoming. And I hunted in Montana, too, when I lived in Montana. And, uh, And frankly, the number of elk that there were in 1993 when the first wolves hit the ground in Yellowstone is uh, is a little bit smaller than the number of, of elk that we have today. So the idea that, that elk are, were going to be depressed by, by having this new predator introduced into the landscape simply hasn't manifested itself in reality. And uh, instead, the wolves are doing what is called compensatory mortality. In other words, eating animals that otherwise would have died of other causes anyway. And so it has a no net effect on the population. What would it take for you as a biologist to feel like the plan has addressed any concerns you might have and, and is as good as it needs to be? Well, the first, the first and most important criterion is it needs to follow the law. And the law has two important components. One component is, is the law um, uh, it designate wolves in Colorado as non-game species, and that means they can't be hunted. That's something that the voters have spoken on, and that was written right into the ballot initiative, and each voter had an opportunity to read that in detail before they voted. Um, and so that's very intentional on the part of the voters. That's not something that's a, that's a trivial detail. And the Colorado Parks and Wildlife brought forward a plan that includes a, a phase four after wolves would be removed from listing under the Colorado Endangered Species Act, in which trophy hunting would be authorized by Colorado's Parks and Wildlife. And that's something that's beyond the scope of the law and should not be allowed because the voters didn't bring wolves down here to be hunted and shot. The, the voters wanted wolves to come down to Colorado and participate in naturally in their ecosystem without human interference or with minimal human interference. And the other part of the law that's really important to pay attention to in the wolf plan is that 
the WOLF plan must be based on the best available scientific data. There are several aspects of the WOLF plan that currently do not follow the best available scientific data. One is that the WOLF plan includes a pretty large dose of lethal control for wolves that get into conflicts with livestock and wolves that uh, that, that may be getting scapegoated for declines in prey populations, which we know based on the science that, that wolves don't really control prey populations. We know that from Idaho, Montana, and Wyoming in the 25 years of experience that we've had in those three states. And at the same time, lethal control for livestock depredations also is unfounded in the science. If your criterion is, does this actually help the livestock industry? We've got 25 years of data from Idaho, Wyoming, and Montana in which wolves have been very heavily suppressed and controlled in response to livestock depredations. And there have been three studies that have evaluated the, uh, the science on this, and, and they've been able to determine that, lo and behold, uh, that you don't get a significant reduction in livestock losses when you kill more wolves. So what's the point at that point of, of, of killing wolves when there's been a livestock depredation if you're not going to save more livestock in the future? Well, it turns out to be revenge killing on the parts of the ranchers to make themselves feel better, I suppose. It certainly isn't a good biologically sound or scientifically defensible way to manage wolves in the, in the context of, of ecosystem health and having predator-prey dynamics that are natural and healthy. Why should people care about this issue from the perspective of a biologist? Well, I think a lot of what we think we know about wolves and the way that they interact with their prey and the way that they interact with livestock is based on fictions and fairy tales. And when I say fairy tales, I mean very little, literally fairy tales, Little Red Riding Hood and the Big Bad Wolf, uh, the Three Little Pigs, these fairy tales are deeply baked into the national psyche. And so we have this this kind of implicit and and inherent discrimination against wolves as the bad guy or a fearful or dangerous animal, when in reality, wolves are nothing of the sort. And if you look at the numbers, they pose very little threat to livestock as well. If you look at the causes of death for livestock in the states where you do have wolves, in Montana, in Idaho, in Wyoming, it's a tiny fraction of 1% of the losses that go to wolves. And things like respiratory diseases and exposure to weather um, are the things that, that kill livestock that, that, that don't make it to the slaughterhouse. One of the really interesting things about wolves and what happens when humans start killing them is that it can disrupt pack structure. And there's a recent study that came out in Yellowstone National Park just a month ago that shows that hunting of wolves outside Yellowstone National Park resulted in about a quarter of the wolves getting killed and often resulted in the disintegration of the wolf pack. When you have a a pack structure that's stable with a dominant male and a dominant female, then you have uh, breeding only by those two animals amongst maybe 10 or 12 or 15 or even 20 wolves. Um, And then the other thing is, is that a stable pack structure means that these animals are able to tackle more difficult prey. In the context of wolf reintroduction in Colorado, you want wolves to be competent hunters of their natural wild prey, the elk, the deer, those species that are elusive. Because if you disrupt the pack dynamics, the cooperation of the wolf pack is not able to take down those natural prey and they they become less competent as hunters. 
then they will turn more frequently to eating cattle, eating sheep. So the ranchers actual, based on the science, the ranchers best strategy is to leave the wolves alone and let those wolves go unmolested and concentrate on the natural prey that are out there, the wildlife on the landscape instead of their domestic livestock. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for snow showers tonight with a low around 15 degrees and possible accumulations of 2 to 4 inches. Thursday calls for snow ending early, giving way to partial sun in the afternoon with a high near 30 degrees. Thursday night should be partly cloudy with a low around 10. Friday should be mostly cloudy with a chance of snow showers and a high near 35. And Friday night calls for cloudy skies with a low near 15. This has been the news for Wednesday, March 1st. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Attention parents with young children. Do you want to learn how to incorporate science, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics into activities with your kids? Join Bright Futures, Wilkinson Public Library, and Telluride R1 School District on Wednesday, March 8th for an interactive parenting workshop all about STEAM. This free workshop begins at 5.30 p.m. and dinner will be provided. Spanish translation will be available. See you and your kids at the library. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact the staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.